The scripture reading this evening is the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and we read the whole chapter. This is the Word of God. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. For, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law." Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory provoking one another, envying one another. Thus far the reading of God's holy and inspired word, Galatians chapter 5. May he bless the reading thereof unto our hearts. The text we consider this evening is Galatians 5, verses 13 and 14. For, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the objections that has been historically raised against the gospel of free grace justification through faith alone without works is that such a doctrine and such a gospel will tend to make Christians careless, lazy, and indifferent. The objection that comes out of the corner of 
a non-understanding of the gospel and of the effect of the gospel. But the objection that such a doctrine removes motivation out of the Christian life, removes incentive for the doing of good works, and thus will render Christians careless, lazy, and indifferent when it comes to obedience to the law of God. The Heidelberg Catechism brings that out in Lord's Day 24, question answer 64, answering this objection. But does not this doctrine make men careless and profane? By no means. Answer of the Catechism, answer of Scripture, answer of the Reformed tradition, by no means. For it is impossible that those who are implanted into Christ by a true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. We find the same thing taught us in the Belgic Confession as well. In Belgic Confession 24, concerning man's sanctification and good works. You could tell that Guido de Bray hears this objection being raised, and he addresses that in, in the article here. And he says, Therefore, it is so far from being true that this justifying faith makes men remiss in a pious and holy life, that on the contrary, without it, they would never do anything out of love to God, but only out of self-love or fear of damnation. Therefore, it is impossible that this holy faith can be unfruitful in man. For we do not speak of a vain faith, but of such a faith which is called in Scripture a faith that worketh by love, which excites man to the practice of those works which God has commanded in His Word. Lovely answer. Lovely answer by the Catechism, lovely answer by the Belgian Confession, and it's squarely on the basis of Holy Scripture. And what we learn from that answer is rather than that the gospel should tend to make Christians careless and profane, lazy, and indifferent, the gospel has precisely the opposite effect in the hearts of them that believe. It has precisely the opposite effect in that it excites us to the practice of good works. And what we're going to learn this evening as we consider this text from Galatians chapter 5, it is precisely this gospel that proclaims for us the finished work of Jesus Christ and a salvation accomplished and secured by His merits, sufferings, obedience, and death. It is precisely this gospel that frees the believer to do good works, that frees us to loving service of the neighbor, not out of self-love, not out of fear of damnation, not to achieve our salvation or get into God's good graces by it, but as children of the Father, brought into the home by grace, seeking to do the will of our Lord in loving our neighbor as he bids us here in this text. The idea then that we consider is loving service in the liberty of the gospel. Loving service in the liberty of the gospel. It's this gospel that makes all the difference when it comes to Christian obedience. Makes all the difference in the world. And we consider in the first place the liberty that the apostle speaks of in the text. We speak in the, we consider in the second place the service. And in the third place, tying these things together, service in liberty. The service in liberty. And what we, what we want to see throughout the, throughout the sermon is that the Christian is a free man and the Christian is a servant. Wonderfully harmonious. The, the blessed, uh, as the blessed Word of God uh, speaks to us here. <coughs> Loving service and the liberty of the gospel. In the first place, that idea of liberty. You've been called in a liberty. Stand fast in the liberty. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. That word liberty there, freedom. The Christian is a free man. Or the Christian is a free woman. Called unto liberty. So what does that consist of? What is the, the liberty of the gospel wherewith we have been, uh, to which we have been set free? In the first place, the freedom, the liberty consists in this, that the believer is not under the law so as to be justified or condemned by the law. The believer is not under the law so as to be justified or condemned by the law. It's not the equivalent of saying that the Christian does not have the duty to obey God's commandments, more on that to come, but 
operative word here, not under the law so as to be justified or condemned by it. Well, what does that mean? Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, the Apostle Paul says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Freedom from the curse of the law. By nature in Adam, mankind is subject to condemnation for disobedience, even as God said in the beginning, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the law of God expresses that the, the sinner for his sin is worthy of condemnation and death, the curse of God being executed upon him for his disobedience. We cannot by our works escape that curse. It's that idea that the Belgian Confession is talking about when it talks about someone who knows not the gospel seeking to obey, seeking to, to live out of a fear of damnation. The image there of someone upon whom, uh, who, who has a sense of that curse and the, and the guilt and the punishment for sin seeking to make his way out by his own obedience. But we can't. Because the law said, cursed is everyone who doesn't continue in all things. When it comes to the righteousness that is acceptable to, to the law, it's an all or nothing matter. And we don't have it. And the wonder of the gospel, as it is written, is that Christ was made a curse for us. That Jesus Christ took our place in the judgment of God and gave Himself to the condemnation, and gave Himself to the penalty of death that we deserved for our sins. And thus, He has redeemed us from that curse. It is finished, He said. And Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. It is the benefit of justification. That benefit which proclaims to us not condemnation, but forgiveness. Think of the woman that was caught in adultery, dragged before Jesus. What, what do you say? We, we caught her in the very act. What do you say? And the Pharisees with their, with their sleeves rolled up, uh, oppressing charges according to the law. And Jesus says, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And, and then they all, being convicted in their own conscience, they go away. Now it's, it's the woman and Jesus. What does he say? And Jesus says, I don't condemn you. You're free. You're forgiven. No condemnation. Go and sin no more. Go in peace. What a, what, what a blessing that we have in Jesus Christ and this freedom from the curse. It cannot curse us. It cannot condemn us because it's curse and condemnation has been satisfied in Christ who has made a curse for us. In addition, when it comes to the liberty here, freedom from having to obey law for our justification. Freedom from having to obey law for our justification. Go back to Adam in the Garden of Eden. Adam in the Garden of Eden, God created him good and upright. God gave him the law. It was, it was written on his heart. He, he knew what he had to do. And, and for a time, he obeyed God's law. Here's the thing about Adam. And all mankind as represented in Adam there. Here's the thing. Adam's judicial standing, his legal standing before the judgment seat of God was tied to Adam's obedience. It was based upon Adam's obedience. And the moment he disobeyed, he became guilty before God and, and, and deserving of condemnation. When it comes to righteousness, when it comes to justification, we cannot be justified by the law. We, we, we do not have what it takes 
to fully meet the law's demands for our righteousness and our acceptance with God. Again, it is an all-or-nothing thing. The law doesn't just require give it your best shot or try your hardest or try to be the best person you can. It says be perfect. And that only is judged by law as a righteousness acceptable to God. Another thing to consider here, when God gave the law to Israel, that's throughout the book of Galatians here, the giving of the law to Israel, the, the Judaizers, the false teachers had it all mixed up. When God gave the law to Israel, he did not intend Israel to seek their justification from the law. It wasn't designed that God's people should, should try hard uh, to be judged righteous on the basis of their obedience. In fact, the law of God was a schoolmaster to usher them to Christ. The law was given in the service of showing to Israel, no, you do not have what it takes. You are sinners. You are unrighteous. You can't do it. In the service of the gospel of the Christ who has done it. All the blood that was shed according to the ceremonial system. All one great presentation of the blood of a mediator for us. So God never intended Israel to seek their justification by the law. The Judaizers, as they are called, the false teachers with which the apostle was dealing, they taught that some law-keeping is required in addition to Jesus for one's justification and for the right to eternal life. They, they, they were saying things like, except he be circumcised, he cannot be saved. It's to, to believers, here they are, in Jesus Christ, justified by faith alone, and they say, except he be circumcised, they, they add, the Judaizers added works to faith for justification. And effectively what it came down to saying is, believer, Christ is not enough. You have to do this in addition in order to be saved. And that was heresy. That was false doctrine. And in, the, in, in Galatians, the Apostle Paul um, he pulls out all the stops and takes out the big guns, recognizing just how serious this was that was being taught. And what we learn from Galatians and from the Scriptures is that Jesus Christ, as our representative and as our mediator, He undertook in our stead that obligation of perfect obedience to God for our justification. He fully obeyed God's law with all His heart, mind, soul, and strength. And it's His righteousness, the righteousness of another, that is imputed, that is freely given to all who believe. For free. No cost. Justification by grace and by grace alone. Lord's Day 23 speaks of that, that, that Jesus' obedience is so counted to you and me, so counted to you and me in the judgment of God that as respects His judgment concerning us, as respects our legal standing, it is as though we had fully obeyed God's law with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength because of Christ's righteousness that is counted to us for ours. And that frees us. Tremendous freedom. And it sets us free, as we will see later, when it comes to service as well. There are other aspects of the liberty that we enjoy in Jesus Christ, this freedom. We've, we've seen already freedom from the curse of the law, freedom from having to obey law for our justification and the right to eternal life. In addition, the freedom that Christ purchased for us consists of this, that by His Spirit, whom He received from the Father, the believer is set free from the dominion and the power of sin. By nature, man is a willing slave to his Lord's sin. A willing slave to his Lord's sin. Romans and other passages speak of the, the unbeliever as the servant of sin. Sin is his Lord. The, the unbeliever is his servant. And he's okay with it. He's okay with it. He likes to have it so. In fact, by nature, man, servant of sin, he, 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 is, he, he believes it, that it is a freedom to be able, uh, a freedom to sin, it, when in reality it is a horrible bondage. 
In Jesus Christ, on the ground of Christ's righteousness, we have been delivered from that dominion, from that thraldom, from that reign of sin that commenced with the fall of man into sin. Romans chapter 8, verse 2, that in Christ Jesus, we have been set free from the law of sin. Set free from the law of sin. You are under grace. Jesus is your Lord. Not sin, not death, not the flesh. Jesus is Lord. You are under His reign. And the wonder, as we unpack this idea of freedom, also belong to what Christ has purchased for us is that by His Spirit, He so works in our hearts that we freely will to do God's will. So that according to the inward man, Romans chapter 7, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. This, this principle of a new obedience that the Spirit produces in our hearts according to which we want to do that which God commands. So that that law, uh, the obedience, is not a matter of coercion or external compulsion, but it springs from our heart. And we will to do God's will in the freedom of sons and daughters of the Father in heaven. Christian liberty. Another thing that that consists of, although we don't intend to spend as much time on it, freedom of conscience. Freedom of conscience. Take the matter of adiaphora, as it's called, things indifferent, things that are neither required nor forbidden by the Word of God. The Christian has been given the, the liberty of freedom of conscience in those matters, not to be bound or compelled contrary to the Word of God. For example, when it comes to things that the Christian is free to use or not to use, let all things be governed by love. The Bible does not say it is wrong to have a glass of wine. Neither does uh, the, the Bible say that it is wrong willingly in good conscience to abstain from having a glass of wine. It does forbid drunkenness. It does forbid immoderation when it comes to use of alcohol, but the thing itself, having a glass of wine is neither forbidden nor commanded. That being said, then the Christian liberty the Christian who with a good conscience has a glass of wine, that's fine. Another Christian who in good conscience willingly abstains from a glass of wine, perhaps recognizing the snare that that alcohol could turn into, he, he willingly refrains from it because maybe he has a history of drunkenness from which he's been, which he's been set free. He doesn't want to return to that. That's fine. The one has a glass, the other doesn't. Both in good conscience, out of faith and love for God and neighbor. It's wrong when someone says it's wrong or sinful to have a glass of wine. That's when the Christian liberty begins to be violated there. When, when, it is, when someone attempts to bind the conscience of the believer contrary to the Word of God. Set free. By the way, on that matter of Christian liberty, read the, the chapters in Romans, uh, chapters in Corinthians as well, where the Apostle Paul addresses this very carefully when it comes to things neither commanded nor forbidden, and he lays out all the principles there worth a study, to be sure. The Christian is a free man, and the Christian is a servant. He's free and servant. What does this mean? Galatians chapter 3, or chapter 5, verse 13, For brethren, you've been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. How about that? Freedom and service, all in the same verse here. Freedom and service. The Christian is a servant. We begin with only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. What does that mean? Flesh. Not talking about uh, the, the molecules that compose our skin. There is a reason it's called flesh. It's tied up with the body. But that flesh there, that's, that is the, the original corruption that we received from our first parents, Adam and Eve. That is the sinful nature. That is, as the catechism describes it, the depravity which always cleaves to us, the flesh. 
The Christian is a new creation in Christ, freed from the dominion of sin. But the flesh remains. The flesh is present. The the sin that dwells in me, Romans chapter 7. And the apostle admonishes us here in verse 13 that we may not use liberty under false pretenses as an occasion or an opportunity to indulge the lusts of the flesh. Similar idea is brought out in 1 Peter 2, verse 16, where it says, as free, as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Do not take, do not use liberty as an excuse or a license to sin. What would be some examples of that? Well, if one were to imagine that Christian liberty means that one is free to sin, wrong, If one were to suppose that no condemnation, Romans 8 verse 1, means green light to the works of the flesh that are laid out in Galatians 5. Wrong. If one were to appeal to liberty as an excuse for a sinful course of action. Maybe maybe you have a TV in the house. And again, Christian liberty. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt not have a TV. Neither does it say thou shalt have a TV. Christian liberty. Things indifferent. How about the use of it? Okay, there, now, now we're in the, the, the domain here of, uh, of what, what, what saith the Lord when it comes to our use of something like that. So you have a TV in the house. If one were to imagine, to suppose to himself, well, I can watch this or that programming unclean uh, because I'm, I'm free. I don't, I don't have to worry about it. Um, Christian liberty, wrong. Or if someone were to use liberty as an excuse for drinking alcohol in excess to the point of drunkenness and immoderation as for, that is forbidden by the law. Okay, now now a, a thing indifferent, matter of Christian liberty, has, has entered into the domain of things forbidden, use, a, a forbidden kind of use. Or if a member of the church were to object to a just admonition by the consistory on the ground that he is Uh, has been set free or on the ground of Christian liberty. As though you can't tell me what to do or what I may not do because I've been called unto liberty. I've been set free. Well, here it is. This is using the flesh as an excuse, license, opportunity. uh, Using liberty as an excuse, license, opportunity to sin. Another example would be if someone were to use his Christian liberty in a way that runs roughshod over the conscience of a weaker brother. The Apostle Paul speaks very sternly about that as well. So why do we need an admonition like that? Why does the Apostle Paul, why do we need an admonition like that? That is there in the text, that idea of use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. It is not that the Gospel needs a kind of surgeon general's warning because the gospel has the potential to do a lot of harm. That's not the idea. It's dangerous when that is thought to be the reason. When someone supposes that the, the preaching of free grace and, the, and the, the gospel of grace, if someone were to suppose that that is inherently dangerous or is going to open up the doors of licentiousness, the danger is because in that moment, when someone feels that way, he's going to keep the gospel behind his back, basically, instead of preaching it freely as he ought. Now, the Apostle Paul, he preached the gospel freely as he ought. Say, well, why is it here? It's the problems with us. The problem is with us. The problem is the flesh. If we didn't have a flesh, we wouldn't need the admonition. It is only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh. See, this sinful nature, this depravity that cleaves unto us, loves to get an opportunity out of a good thing uh, to do that which is um, evil. Romans chapter 7, it speaks of the law of God, the good and holy law of God. And what's the reaction of the flesh to the law of God? And, well, we'll read it. He says, sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. 
This good and holy commandment of God and sin uh, taking occasion by the commandment, as it were, flares up uh, into, into, into sin, in, into the doing of sin, into, into the lusts of the flesh. So the problem is with our flesh that would love to use Christian liberty as an excuse, as an occasion to, to, to indulge in the lusts of the flesh. So the Christian saint and sinner, as Martin Luther said, saint in Jesus Christ, righteous through faith alone, sanctified by the Spirit, and yet sinner in ourselves, this flesh that cleaves unto us. That's why we need the admonition. Now consider the contradiction. Consider the contradiction and the folly if a Christian were to use liberty as an occasion to the flesh. The purpose for which we have been set free, the end of our liberty, is that we may serve God in the freedom of sons and daughters of the Father. You see the contradiction? If a Christian should use that liberty in the service of sin, precisely the opposite end unto which we have been set free, consider the folly of it. Here we are, we have been set free from the bondage of sin. Like Israel, redeemed, set free from the bondage of Egypt. What would you say if Israel uh, kept up a corresponding relationship with the Egypt from which they had been set free or, or entertained uh, the things of Egypt, having been set free from Egypt? You'd say, what are you doing, Israel? Don't you remember what that was like in Egypt? Don't you remember what the Egyptians did to you? What good did they do to you? Ye are not debtors to the flesh. And likewise, the folly if a Christian should dally with sin and use liberty as an occasion to the flesh, returning, uh, as it were, uh, dallying with, with this former master from which he has been set free. Only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. That in the, that in the next place, by love, serve one another. The Christian is a servant. What's remarkable about that text is the, the word that's translated serve in verse 13 uh, comes from the same root that the other words in Galatians translated bondage come from. Chapter 5, be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. It is an epistle against bondage. And now here in verse 13, he uses the word in a sweet way when he says, by love serve one another. It's the fruit of faith. Faith worketh by love. Faith expresses itself in love. By love serve one another. The fact that he uses that word there in verse 13 teaches us that Christian liberty, Christian freedom is not the way that perhaps freedom and liberty are often thought about in this country in which we live. A country that prides itself on freedom. But perhaps some imagine freedom to mean a kind of lawlessness wherein one is a law unto himself and no one tell me what to do kind of freedom or kind of liberty. That's not Galatians 5.13, is it? He says you've been called into liberty by love serve one another. The will of the Lord towards us. We have been freed to service. The Christian has come under the reign of grace. Jesus is our Lord, and we are his willing servants. Willing servants. It's not, a, it's not an Egyptian bondage, taskmasters in Egypt kind of service. This is the sweet, willing service of the sons and daughters the, uh, of God and the brothers and sisters of Christ. Well, what is the will of the Lord towards us? And how often didn't he say it? in his ministry upon the earth, again and again. Love one another. Love your brothers and love your sisters. Even as I have loved you, so love ye one another. Galatians 5.14, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now that text in verse 14 is not to the exclusion of the first table of the law. It's not like he's just cutting the first table away from the law. The point that he's emphasizing is the duties that we owe to our neighbor. And the law of God is such that the second table obedience flows from the love of God that the first table commands. So now, here's the law. Wow. 
in an epistle in which, again, the Apostle Paul is, holds nothing back when it comes to a polemic and a condemnation of misuse of the law, misunderstandings of the law, laying the law upon the Christian for his justification. He dispatches that. He, he demolishes that. What we learn is that the law itself is not a bad thing. Here we are now in the third use of the law. That law, as it comes to us in Jesus Christ, we've been freed from its curse. We've been freed from having to work and keep law for our justification. That's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We're free. And that law, as it comes to us now, as the will of our Lord, the will of our Father in heaven towards us as children, and that law that the Spirit, uh, he, he works in our hearts so that we will that which God wills in the law. You see, the Judaizers had it all wrong in how they were using the law in a way that was a, a compromised free grace, in a way that militated against justification through faith alone. But again, the way the, that doesn't mean the law itself is bad. And what we learn from the Scriptures is that Jesus did not come into this world to do away with the idea of law in the lives of His people. But Jesus came into this world to redeem us from the curse of the law by being made a curse for us and being condemned in our place because of our transgressions. He came into this world to fulfill the law for our justification so that for the believer there's no more work that needs to be done for your justification and the right to eternal life. It's all yours for free. And Jesus came into this world to restore us by His Spirit to a willing obedience to the law of God, a restoration of the way things were, uh, but better than the way things ever were, the restoration in Jesus Christ by His Spirit. What does that look like? By love, serve one another. Well, I'll take that word serve. That's a servant word. That is a word that, that uh, deflates pride. Okay? It, it, it's, it's, it's contrary to, to the pride that cleaves to us and that we are prone to by nature. It is a humbling word, serve. It is a word against selfishness, self-centeredness. Always thinking about ourselves, putting ourselves first kind of mentality. And here that word serve comes, uh, and it's, it's the opposite of that. This is a word here, that word serve, that brings up, brings up the imagery of a towel and a bucket. Think of Jesus in the upper room. The servants are unwilling to serve one another. Uh, maybe crossing their hands and unwilling to stoop down to the point of washing the dirty feet of, of their compatriots. And Jesus is the one who wraps the apron, takes the bucket, takes the towel, washes feet. He says, here's an example. Love one another as I have loved you. Okay, towel and bucket word there, serve. Looking on the things of others, esteeming others better than yourself. How about love your neighbor as yourself? What does that look like? Well, it might not be so dazzling in the eyes of uh, the world. It might not be so dazzling to our own eyes. Maybe we have a kind of over-rosy expectation when it comes to Christian obedience. Like the kind of stuff that draws oohs and ahs, you know, look at that, or, or look at him, or look at her. No. It's, it's much more simple than that. It's the kind of thing that's so easily missed. This kind of Christian obedience. So who is your neighbor? Oh, that neighbor would be your husband or your wife if you're married. That neighbor would be the children sitting around the table if you have, if you have children. That neighbor would be the co-worker at work if you go to work. That neighbor would be your brother and sisters sitting around you right now this evening. Here, here is your neighbor, the family of Jesus Christ the Lord. And this love of neighbor, although maybe not so impressive in appearance, it takes shape in manifold ways. Husbands, love your wives. Put away the selfishness. Put away the uh, mentality that the, that the wife is there to serve you. In fact, you're there to serve her. Love your wife. 
Wives, submitting to your husbands, respecting them, wanting to support them uh, and be at their side in the good endeavors that the husband is seeking to do. Parents, ministering, ministering to your children, serving your children according to their needs, uh, putting off the, the impatience, putting off the selfishness or I want my time and it's all about me kind of mentality. And no, you're giving up of your time and you're giving up of your energy and, and, and stooping down to help these little lambs, Jesus' brothers and sisters. Now again, you might not see that in the magazines at the store. Christian husband seeks to love his wife. Christian parent seeks to nurture his children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But again, the, it's, 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 it's simple. Simple love for your neighbor whom God has put in your life. Children, obeying your parents, not talking back to them, not speaking disrespectfully to them, walking in love with your brothers and sisters, being willing to give up a toy that maybe you think you have rights to, but you know what? You can have it kind of stuff. Employers, giving fair wages, treating employees with respect, honesty in business, not just being concerned about how much money you can make and how much value you can amass for the company, but looking out for the good and the well-being of your employees. How can I help them? What's a good wage for them? Employees. Not, not the kind of eye service that only uh, gets after it when the employee uh, is looking over your shoulder. But integrity and honesty as an employee, not stealing time, not trying to get, get away with doing as little as possible before you're caught or before someone says something, but faithfulness in your occupation. As a servant of the Lord, doing things as unto the Lord. All of us, as members of Christ, loving one another in word and deed, caring for each other, bearing one another's burdens, coming to the side of a brother or sister or neighbor in time of need, how can I help? What can I do for you? Walking humbly with each other in love. So maybe we thought Christian obedience was, you know, the kind of extra special stuff that, uh, that draws oohs and ahs. But when you, when you consider Galatians 5, when you consider the table of duties that the Apostle Paul gives us in a letter like Ephesians or Colossians, it's much more down-to-earth, simple stuff to which we have been set free to do in Jesus Christ the Lord. In some, then, the Christian is free and servant. The Christian is free and servant. He is free in Christ, free from the curse of the law, free from being under the law for justification, Free in that by the Spirit he freely wills to do that which his Lord commands. And the Christian is servant. Servant in Christ, our Lord. And our Lord directs us to the neighbor. What wilt thou have me to do? What is, what is thy will for me, O Lord? And he points the finger at the neighbor who's all around you. And your brothers and sisters. And he says, love them. By love, serve one another. Martin Luther once used this, this line, or at least it's ascribed to Martin Luther. It certainly sounds like Martin Luther. And he says, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. And that expression is so instructive for us. The Christian free and servant. We are right with God through faith without works. We have Jesus Christ for all of our salvation, and besides him, nothing more is required. Belgic Confession 22. And having been set free, having our salvation accomplished, is secure in Christ, now Jesus directs us as free servants to love one another in liberty. Service in liberty. Tying these things together then, one of the things we said in the introduction is that the gospel makes all the difference when it comes to Christian liberty. And let's, let's unfold that now and, and let's, let's consider that. Service and liberty means that Christian obedience is not the obedience of a slave who is scared of the whip. 
The Reformed tradition calls that a servile fear. The fear of a slave who cowers in terror at what his master is going to do if the slave doesn't perform well enough. A cowering, servile fear. Neither is Christian obedience, obedience under a guilt trip, working hard to atone for failure and for sin and thinking thereby to obtain God's favor. Oh, if only I work hard enough, then God will be merciful to me. Then God will cause the light of his countenance to shine down upon me. Then he'll let me in. Then he'll receive me. Neither is Christian obedience obedience to get into the Father's good graces to earn his love or to make your way into his home. That's not Christian obedience either. Neither is it working hard or doing something in order to have something to recommend yourself to God why he should accept you. That's not it either. Again, this is, this is by nature, we are, we are prone to these kinds of things. We are, just have this mentality by nature of we have to come up with something, something, why God should open the doors, why God should let us in. It's, it's just built into our sinful nature, this legalism. But let's evaluate those forms of obedience that Christian obedience is not. Those forms that we have considered there, that is a form of bondage. That's the bondage of the slave feeling that we have to in order to, in order to get, in order to receive, in order to obtain, etc., etc. Like it depends on our performance. In addition, such obedience is not free obedience. It is, it is compelled. It is, it is coerced. We feel the pinch. It's not something that arises freely from our hearts. And thirdly, Notice that that kind of obedience, that Christian obedience is not. Who's the focus on there? Who's the focus on? If we are running around thinking that by our works, God will let us in, or by our works, we will make up for our sin and finally obtain peace of conscience. It's, it's the me show. The focus is on, is on, is on me and on my and on mine. What the Belgian Confession was talking about. Without the gospel, the Christ, without the gospel, there is not such a thing as a Christian. But without the gospel, a man would only obey out of self-love or out of fear of damnation. Now you tell me, is self-love or fear of damnation the kind of loving, free service of this epistle? The answer is no. What's the message of the gospel? The message of the gospel, believer, is that you are forgiven all your sins for free. And that there's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. You're free. And so you can stop trying to atone for your sin and for your failure. You can stop trying to make up to God for your transgressions and your failures as his child. Because all of that work's been finished for you. You are free. As for the righteousness that we need to stand before God to be accepted as his children, the righteousness that is required for justification in life, all that work's been done in Jesus Christ. And it's given us freely as a gift. So that for our justification, there is no more work required. You can breathe now. You can stop trying to work into God's good graces. You can stop trying to earn his favor. You can stop trying to be in. You're already in through Christ. And now as a free man, now as a free daughter of God, through love serve one another. It is that gospel that sets us free to the free service, to the service in liberty. Now, you can put your boots on in the morning and you can go to work without having to worry about whether or not you've done enough for God's acceptance because you're already accepted for free for Jesus' sake. Now you are free. You, you don't have to go to work. You don't have to, to go to work as a parent, as a mother, as a father, as a child, as a husband or a wife under the bondage of thinking you have to work for your salvation because it's already secure in Christ. You have him, and besides him, nothing more is required besides him. Belgian Confession 22. 
Now you are free to love and to work and serve at home without worrying, without having to worry about condemnation for your disobedience or condemnation because of the sin that stains everything that you do because you have forgiveness in Jesus. It's all forgiven. And even the sin that cleaves to your best works, God purges it by the blood of Christ, sanctifies it by His grace and receives it for Jesus' sake and is well pleased with it for Jesus' sake. Do we see the difference here? The difference between the, the obedience wherein someone, when it comes down to it, is working for his salvation and to be right with God, to have his favor, to have peace of conscience, things like that, and the freedom that belongs to the Christian and the service in liberty that, that, we, that we get to do that service in Christ Jesus. And now, our salvation secure in Christ, we can devote ourselves to good works to the neighbor. Now we don't have to be so concerned about ourselves and our own things because that's all taken care of in Christ. And now you can give yourself for the good of the neighbor because you're forgiven, you're righteous, and nothing can ever add to that or take anything away from it. Now we may yield obedience not out of a servile fear, but out of a childlike love and a willing mind and gratitude to this God and our Father through Jesus Christ who freely receives us as His sons and daughters in His mercy and in, in, in whose home we are and, and whose will now by the Spirit it is our pleasure to do. You are free. You have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty as an occasion for the flesh, but by love serve one another. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, we give thee thanks for thy word, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the liberty that we have in him, and for the gift of the Spirit who dwells in us, writes thy law upon our hearts, and makes us sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto thee. Apply thy word unto our hearts and excite us to the practice of good works. Grant that we in the joy of the gospel and in the liberty of the children of God that we may serve one another and seek to obey thee, our Father in heaven, knowing and assured in our hearts that thou art, forever and, that thou art and forever shall remain our Father in heaven. And that we are free because of Jesus Christ the Lord. Forgive our sins and hear our prayer, for we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.